Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is regular host Aaron Percival aka Corporal Hicks and joining me as always are my regular partners in crime. Ridgetop or Adam Zeller as I'm known in the real world. Eric Adams otherwise known as Xenomorphine on the forums. And this is episode 115 and we're, we're back to Alien. I said I said we'd have some Alien related podcasts after the last couple of months worth of Predator and it's one it's one I've really been looking forward to even though I'm not necessarily sure how today's going to go because it's not something I'm I'm used to talking about in too much detail but it's a game that Adam and I and some of the other guests who will be introduced shortly have been enjoying for about a year now the, the game's been out a year and what we're going to be discussing is the Alien roleplay game so to help us out on this one we are joined by another regular community contributor to the podcast mr chris travis hello bro also known as chevy and the next face slash voice will be familiar to you if you've been watching the sort of collaborative live streams that we did with studio utani he's one of the players from there welcome to the show jonesy hey guys thanks for having me also known as he, he stole my name Stole my name, guys. <laughs> As Aaron Matthews, not Aaron. Aaron. Wait. <laughs> no, are you are you Aaron. Or I thought you were Aaron. No, I'm Aaron. You're Aaron. I'm Aaron. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. So there's the distinction. Yes, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. And uh, Aaron has been um, pretty much on all the sessions we've done since Clara introduced us all. Yeah, most of them. We're we're, we're very familiar. We're very familiar with Aaron, even if we weren't sure on the names. <laughs> and anyway, we're we're here Jones to. Here. Jones, yes, Jones is um, an ancestor of a certain feline that survived some certain uh, terrifying <laughs> encounters. It was just a harmless ship explosion. Nothing really had battle conspiracy theories. Yeah, there was there was no physical evidence no, no, of the wasn't. creature that was described <laughs> anywhere on the shore. So, do you think Jones he ever met? Was it Anchor Point that Ripley woke up in? It was Gateway. Gateway. Gateway, Gateway. Gateway. yeah. Do you think Jonesy just spent the rest of his days there? Yeah, probably the uh, cat sitter uh, was like, well, I guess she's not coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I ended up going to Earth to live with the cats down there. The cats just took over. (laughs) He had a happy trip. That's the real Earth one. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of ADF's books had him die due to time dilation or something. That sounds painful. I can't. I can't. I can't remember exactly. That was just. I think the alien thing. universe is complicated enough as it is without adding time dilation into the mix. <laughs> we'll leave that to Star, to Star Trek. But anyway, we're here to talk about the RPG, the um, the role playing game. Came out yeah, pretty much a year ago as of as of recording went. It was it was August twenty nineteen in terms of was it the beta? When did the they had a Kickstarter, didn't they? No. No, there wasn't Kickstarter. It's one of the few uh, things that Free League have done that hasn't been a Kickstarter. I suppose oh, that was that was the uh, Protoss game. Yeah, the Disney AVP one had a Didn't they have Tales from the Loop on Kickstarter too, I think? Was that Kickstarter? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it was it was early access if you pre ordered it, right, Chris? It was, but we didn't get much of a early access. We got Chariots of the Gods quite early, but not the full rulebook, okay. I think. No, wasn't it about a month in advance? I thought we had it in nearly a year. I'm sure we had it from about August. No, no, no. no. The book, when the books came out, like, the month after. I think it was November that they were officially Yeah, I released. thought it was last fall. 
like I can't remember exactly when it came, but I, I it came out it before the fall. public had it. Yeah, it did. Which is what Free League does with, um, at least seems to be doing with the Alien stuff. So we get early PDF access before the physical yep. books are printed. And Free League is a Swedish company, right? And uh, they've done a number of their own original RPG series. Is this the first licensed one they've done, or have they done another licensed one? Well, the Year Zero engine that it's based on is Mutant Year Zero, which is, uh, I believe, a franchise all on its own. And then there's Tales from the Loop, and I'm not sure where that started. I know there's the the Amazon. That's that's from an artist uh, called Simon Stillenhag or something? Oh, so it was from just an art book? It was just, yeah, yeah, lots of paintings, and then it became that, and then now it's a TV series on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I read through the book as prep, but I never thought to actually read, check up on any of the Free League backstory. But yeah, I mean, they're they're relatively well-known Swedish publishers, aren't they? Have been recently. They've been booming. I mean, I'd never heard of them until Alien. Mm. And now you're finding all these games coming out. I mean, they've just kickstarted, well, in the middle of Twilight 2000, which is apparently a really old game. I mean, I don't know how far it goes back, but it's meant to be based like a World War Three thing. And that's adapted into this system now. And the beauty is they're all based around a similar system. So it's like D and D, I suppose, where everything's based around one system. And now you're gonna you've got you've got Coriolis, Mutant Year Zero, Tales from the Flood, Things from the Flood, which is the expansion. Uh you've a whole got water Twilight. God, I've forgotten any. Didn't they do a Cthulhu based thing? I think that's an art book from what I've seen. It's just an art book. They do have some is it Vassen, which is is it Nordic or Oh uh, yeah yeah yeah. I don't know if that's based on the same system. Nordic horror role playing. And it, it is using year zero engine. Right. So so do they only use the year zero engine or do they have different No no. No, uh, the Simbarum, which is uh, a fantasy game, uses a polyhedral set, so that's a different engine all again. So polyhedral, if you don't know, is just like a D twenty, D twelve, D ten, D six, D eight, D four. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know. So, all different, different dice. Whereas the Year Zero engine primarily only uses a D6, well, multiple D6s. Unless you're the game, um, the game mother. No, nope, just still D6s. But I thought you used a D66. <laughs> D66 is just two sixes, two D6s. Ah, uh, right, 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 right. Well, I suppose a, a fitting place to start then would be for how familiar, not necessarily familiar, how much experience everybody has with role-playing as, as, a, as a gaming format. So, Jonesy, you lead us off as the guest. Yeah, so, I mean, I've always been into board games and obviously video games, but I've never played some any kind of long-form role-playing game, even over a single session or multiple sessions. And really, if the alien rpg hadn't come around i still probably wouldn't have picked up an rpg it was only the fact that it's something in this universe that lured me in yeah it's it's such a great game so i didn't really have too much experience beforehand i think a lot of my rpg experience was originally from video games the first rpg i was really into was star wars knights of the old republic I don't think that counts in terms of this, though, surely. <laughs> no, no, this is this is at its core a pen and paper table RPG. Although we've been primarily playing it through a website called Roll20, which has a lot of those mechanics integrated. And it's been an awesome way for people at different, yeah. you know, different parts of the world like us to play this together. But yeah, role-playing games of any sort, I, I have not had too much experience. Again, most of mine came from video games. So this has probably been the first tabletop RPG I've had any degree of 
real experience in. Uh, I've had a number of friends who are into Dungeons and Dragons. And so I kind of had like, a, I guess, really, really basic understanding of that just through through their interest of it. And I think at its core, this is kind of what this is. is this is the alien Dungeons and Dragons Oh, 100%. More or less. 100%, yeah. yeah. As opposed to like AVP from Protoss, which was like Warhammer 40k, but AVP. When when it gets down to tabletop gaming, it's it's far more of a format than just the tabletop gaming, you know. The Protoss thing is um, is miniature wargaming. You know, Legendary Encounters is um, living card game. Like a deck builder. A deck building game, yeah. And this is a role-playing game, just happens to be on the table. Eric, what about yourself? Well, I remember back in high school and we were I was on like the school newspaper team, although we never actually produced an issue, but we did have this like old box. It was like the Space Hulk thing out of Warhammer. And we all sort of like crowded around. We had these fantastic little miniatures of Tyranids and Space Marines and things. We tried to actually play it, but it was kind of hopeless because a lot of the dice and all the rest of it went over our heads. But I loved the miniatures from it. And that was as far as I went back, you know, I got in high school. I was never like Dungeons and Dragons or anything. As time went on, I as like Adam, I got more into role-playing games through like computer games, especially through Bioware computer games. But in terms of like like not um a game, just the role-playing aspect of it, I was actually doing a lot of games from I think around maybe late nineties, certainly early two thousands, right up to the present day of um like prose-based role-playing games where you it's through the internet and you basically you each have your own character and it's like writing a sort of a collaborative fiction sort of thing you only write for your character and the other person writes for it. and there's no dice involved but it's purely a it's like a collaborative novel writing thing so when i came to this it was probably my first experience of a role-playing game which didn't have all the mechanics and the dice throwing stuff that wasn't all hidden behind the scenes here it's a lot more full-on and you you use it and I, I have to say before we go on i was quite impressed by the stress mechanic for this which did remind me of a computer game which was meant to be a sort of semi-official sequel for the thing a few years ago and that included a sort of a paranoia stress-based system in that and i always thought that would be interesting if a future game used that and it's never really been used in computer games but it was used in this and i did find that quite an interesting rewarding mechanic because it added to the whole chance-based narrative so yeah this was probably my first tabletop dice pen and paper sort of thing but i've like as adam said i do find the roll 20 site the statistics and stuff do go a bit over my head still but i, I was really relieved to find out that took a lot of that confusion away it was done yeah. yeah for me i had played two role-playing game sessions before this Talking specifically this type of game where you are, you know, around a table, rolling dice, talking as your character. I've always been big into my, my tabletop games, you know, like the miniatures and the, and the card games and stuff like that. But I was never, I could never get into role playing games because they all tended to be sort of fantasy stuff. And I have no real interest in fantasy. So I tried, I tried a session of D&D with you, Chris, if you remember that. Yeah, I do. That was when I was new as well. That was the only time I've ever played D&D, and I did a session of the new Star Trek Adventures role-playing game at one of the local gaming clubs. I'm I'm a Trekkie. I grew up a Trekkie, but that didn't really... That didn't really draw me in either. None of those games particularly, none of those sessions particularly drew me into the the platform, into the the role-playing game platform. This one, this isn't Aliens' first RPG. 
Uh, Leading Edge did a um, RPG back in is the nineties, early nineties. Yeah, I remember seeing it at uh, some sort of convention, computer show, or something that I had to go off at college or something. No, it would have been before that. And I remember seeing it out on the the shelves, and I thought, oh, that's going to be interesting. And I never saw it anywhere else. It was like this well, thing we had say, to order. If we ever fancy giving it a go, I've got it. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> the core rulebook has been online for about a decade. I've, I've had access to it for a long time, but I never, I never gave it a go. I guess primarily because a lot of this sort of stuff does depend on on your player group. It depends on having mates who yeah. who, who want to join in with you as well. That's actually very important. It's the people that you play with make and break the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So even though it was alien based. I'd still never tried it. But then when this thing came around, there was a lot more buzz about it, you know, about Free League as, um, as a publisher and, you know, the, the artwork that accompanied it, uh, the people that were involved in, you know, in, in writing the rules and some of the, um, the graphics inside it. Gasker is, is known. Uh, before coming out with uh, before the book came out you know he was he was known for his involvement in the timeline and the bible he's got his own um i think it's bam studios you know their own comic stuff he's, he's a novelist as well and the guy who did the vehicle artwork inside inside it he's known as well si- simon i think it is who worked on the Wayland yutani report we're just double checking. John, sorry. John Mullaney uh, did the vehicle artwork inside this. And some of the other illustrations, you know, that came out with the announcement were fantastic. And there was just this big, big buzz around this. And it meant that there was people interested in playing it. So, yeah, I was going to give it a go. Yeah, I will say the illustrations just in the rule books and stuff are absolutely exquisite. The yeah. artwork that goes along with this. So the fact that people were willing to, were interested in playing it, you know, meant I got to experience it. And just, you know, not with it just being aliens, it actually, all the mechanics in it actually working in it and it being a good experience as well, you know, has, has kept me playing it all this time. A good indication, actually, for the hype was that when we went to UK Games Expo specifically to play it, all the slots for the weekend ran out within the first two or three hours of them opening the doors. And we were lucky enough to get a slot. Is that when you did some of the the playtesters, weren't you? You two? Uh, We playtested the Hadley's Hope scenario, one of the three that they did, and one of them, which ended up in in the core book. But the playtesting part came from the early Exister Chariots of the Gods and giving feedback. Was the version of Hadley's Hope similar to what we got in Hope's Last Day, or was it was it a lot? There different? were three different ones. There was one where there was an orchestra, and they're basically playing their bit of the orchestra at one end of the base, and the next minute it's like, "Where's everyone? Everyone's gone." The second one, I think, was a heist, and they were trying to steal money from the casino uh, because <laughs> every, everything was kicking off. They're like, "Hey, if, if we're going to lose the planet, I'm going to get at least get rich." And the third one was our scenario where we were colonial marshals trying to send a, a warning using the, the radar dish, say, "Hey, planet screwed, guys, don't come." <laughs> you know, and that's the one that we did, and we we held the record there as being one of two surviving groups all weekend. All weekend. All weekend. And I knew we were that day. We were that day, but it was all weekend. We were the, one of the only two survivors. Yeah. So uh, I, I actually did a preview article on that experience, uh, which was on the website, you know. And I think, was that was that May time, or would that have been a little later? I forget when you... No, it would have been now. It would have been August, wouldn't it? No, I think it was uh, UK, is it UK Games Expo June. I don't know. It was summertime. I remember it being yeah. sweaty. <clears throat> <laughs> As are most events. Yes, yes. <laughs> 
So my experience was two sessions and that was it. Now, Mr. Chris, you are the most experienced. Please, please provide us with your backstory in RPG. Okay. So, I mean, my experience only really extends back maybe three or four years. So I, I started primarily playing fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. Still play it to this day, but I always, I'm always the dungeon master or the game mother in this case, because that's what the person who runs the game behind the scenes is called, which I, I love. It's thematic. It's perfect. I know there was some moaning saying, oh, we're calling each other mother now. Well, if it bothers you that much, just call yourself father. Whatever. It doesn't I bother me. I didn't see any moaning. Oh, I so, I so, so. Did people kick up a fuss about that? A little bit. It, it was minor. It was minor. I think it's so, very dramatic. Uh-huh. As a player, I suppose you guys have got more experience than I have. But running the game, I suppose I have more experience than what any of you have. So we've got some very different perspectives. How many times have you played it as a player, Chris? Alien. Yeah, the Alien RPG. How many sessions have you uh, GM'd? I don't know. Probably at least <laughs> a dozen, wasn't it? I honestly don't know. I mean, we, I, was DMing, I was DMing Dungeons & Dragons once a week for two years with my first campaign for Dungeons & Dragons, so that's 104, nearly, because I think we had a couple of weeks off around Christmas. And then, obviously, with this one, I've, I've been doing different groups for different people with Chariots, trying to introduce new people like Eric and Calum. I mean, I ran them through Chariots again. I, I don't know. I have just so many now. <laughs> Chris, just to segue into like a general role-playing question, so you just mentioned how many sessions of Dungeon, like 100 and something. Is that one continuing storyline, or is that... Yeah, that's one wow. continuing storyline. That's crazy. And that's what we haven't got got into in the Alien RPG. You have your cinematic scenarios, which is kind of meant to be played in one session. We've gone as long as, what, five, six hours, but usually it's about two to three hours you can get through it. And then you have your campaign play, which is meant to be multiple extended sessions, and you typically have a higher chance of surviving through that. Actually, that's not true. The Alien... Well, that's what the book says. But... Just <laughs> as easily as they can in cinematic mode. The idea is that you wouldn't introduce aliens into it until it's like oh crap we're at the end of the game here the aliens yeah. <laughs> and to be fair i think we always tended to play the game a little more aggressively than the designers intended us to play the game <laughs> yeah a lot of you do and you've been dying as a result <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there was one part i noticed in the book that said like if you betray the group you become an npc we, we always did that we, we always did that oh really yeah yeah it's because we normally ended up dying as a consequence yeah I'm talking more in terms of like the book tries to tell you to play in an isolation kind of fashion, where when the alien shows up, hide, evade, don't go shoot the thing. Which is why I try to get you to to hide when the alien comes out and I do random patrol paths with dice. But unfortunately, you guys suck at rolling dice. (laughs) 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 We did that and my character just knocked over a fire extinguisher. But I mean, it's been interesting because here's the thing that Chris is a good game moderator. Like there was that whole thing with me and Aaron characters. And we had that thing where the alien grabbed my character, but then it incapacitated my character. But then it just dropped them to the floor and it didn't attack anyone. And it, it made me think because it was like you had it sort of toying but it was like using my character as bait to lure yours in so there's always ways and means of playing around with the different situations that the dice hand us it's, it makes for a, a very rewarding but certainly very creative because you do have to think outside the box with this game i found you do and just to point on to that like i so the first scenario was hope's last day the first of publicly released one 
No, that, that was Destroyer of World. No, sorry, um, Chariots was first. So we got, we got Chariots as a PDF before the books were released, and then they because mm. that was originally supposed to be in the core book, and then they swapped it around to add. Yeah, they swapped it around to add Hope's Last Day. Absolutely. So Hope's Last Day is basically the third act in, yeah. in a cinematic campaign. So that's a, that's a, it's a fantastic way of saying right, your new players crack on. It's all action. Good luck surviving. With Chariots of the Gods, it's a full three-act thing. But, I mean, I've played both of those probably six, seven times now, and <laughs> no two experiences have been the same. I think that's mm. just such They've a been good deal. Totally but, different. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. replayability. Value. Yeah, definitely. definitely yeah. Just off the two scenarios alone. So, like Adam, I think, mentioned, we have all primarily been playing the cinematic scenarios. Before we go any further, let's just sort of explain the difference in formats. So, Chris... Give us um, give us a breakdown on sort of how that how that works and how that compares to your D and D. A cinematic, like I just said, is is basically meant to be done in three parts. It's meant to be they're one off characters that the GM makes, and it's a case of like these are your personal agendas to try and achieve, and you get agendas in each act, so you get three agendas. So it's structured like a film, just to point that yep. out with the, with the three act structure. You know, cinematic is like it says in the name in terms of emulating the structure of of an alien film. Yeah, so we, we might say that uh, Hicks, your your mission here is to go and investigate what's happening, find some research data. Then you could have Jonesy, who is like, he's just is in here looking for medication because that seems to be one of the things that seems to be in the game is that they're always after some kind of drugs. Don't know why. Ridgetop's character might be after some hard cash, trying to make a quick book somewhere, and Xenomorphin's character might be say. He's looking for a threat. He just wants a fight. So you, you've got to try and think through that first act. Like, how, how are you going to try and achieve, achieve these agendas? But they're not necessarily important. You can ignore them. So, for example, like if, if it's too risky, you want your character to live. You're not going to do it. It's, it's that kind of thing. At the same time, I think one of the, the pitfalls I was having early on was I was attempting to play the game as kind of unknowingly as someone who knew about the aliens and the threat that they posed. And it says specifically in the book, like you want to move the, the story forward, like you don't want your character to die. But at the same time, you can be too careful and too concerned about staying alive and not taking any risks and then the story can just kind of stagnate and i think i did that a bit early on i was just like well let's just set up a defensive position here until this thing happens that we need to happen and you do kind of want to incentivize exploration and, and progression in the story i must I say that it didn't, work. it didn't work well for you though did it <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well i i think i ended up just going along with the group when you're like come on let's just go i think adam does bring up a good point though it is so kind of hard to separate that mindset knowing what we know about this series it's a huge Um, hurdle yeah it's a huge hurdle but then again that's that's why we've mentioned the two official cinematic ones that we've played but chris has also done his home um done his own homebrew his own custom one and one of the things that the the core book sort of gives you as an as an inlet as as a way to sort of perhaps your characters know about things is yes it references uh, the space book of Morse, which is which is space beast and things like rumors and stuff so the, the core book itself as a as a blueprint as a source of inspiration does give you a lot of things and space beast is at least a way to work around that when you're playing with a group of, of unknowns who might not necessarily be active in yeah. the the alien story as such 
nice way for like a newer players if they're struggling getting out of that mindset you can go well at least you know about it so you can yeah. play on it it's not character breaking wasn't one of our characters in your last homebrew didn't, didn't they carry copy of space beast or they they were definitely we, i know we definitely referenced it a good bunch yeah of times yeah it was uh alana reed's book that she was reading she was reading all about space beast so it was like hey wait a minute alana and elliot so the difference from that from then with cinematic is, is, is basically meant to be it's short, but <laughs> we've never had a short cinematic experience yet. They've always gone on for like hours and hours. The short and the brutal, good luck surviving. It's the dark souls of Alien RPG. Good luck. So the campaign is meant to be, it's more of a storytelling version of the game. So like D&D, the idea is to to go multiple sessions, tell a story. But the, the players in this are just as fragile as they are in the cinematic. So I'm not too sure... Well, it just mentioned that in the book. It it said something like your character has better odds of survival and campaign play or something like that. And I think the key differing factor is you're creating your own character in campaign play as opposed to having one assigned to you in cinematic play. And so you can decide what kind of attributes they have, what kind of career and background they come from. So I think there's definitely a lot more narrative control. And again, this is going to be highly dependent on the group you play with. You you want to tell a story together and and you don't have control of everything every outcome but you have a lot more control of what you do in the story like oh we're going to go to this planet and this colony and we'll do this trade or whatever so there's a lot more involvement in terms of storytelling and like you're you're all telling your group's story as opposed to going through a story that's been prepared for you and it's like you've gone to let's say that you're a group of like mercenaries your guns for hire you could go to a station and i could say well you've got five different contracts to choose from but you don't have to choose any of them five you can go somewhere else do something else whereas a a, a cinematic mode is here the tracks you're on them there are some different routes but not many yeah. yeah they all lead to the same there is a lot of support for random generation of stuff in the campaign from what i've seen so in the gm section of the book you know it's roller dice and you pick these and, and you can create entirely random situations from it i think that i think the difficult thing is going to be trying to create a longer story that doesn't necessarily throw the aliens at you every time but still feels alien related that's right but the the book does give a lot of world building yeah the, the core book essentially is half mechanic half law slash world building as the book points out there is more to the alien universe than the beasties and it's about crafting other stories around those things about political intrigue and yeah. corporate nastiness and stuff like that and and the, and the book gives you a lot of these other corporations that you can explore you know there's engineering I mean, it goes ruins way back into like um, you look back onto the um the original alien do you remember all the little flag emblems and stuff on the non- non- scrum credit and it yeah. talks about the three world empire you can bring that stuff into it which has never actually been explored in the films it's not all about derelicts and stuff and even when it comes to wildlife you can bring in all these other things and you can i think the book even says you can make stuff up mm-hmm. on your own if you want to it gives you the flavor of the alien continuity but you don't have to introduce face suggers or anything at all you can just have a crew that's a research crew and they find engineer technology but then it goes off into a completely different path and it's something else is afoot or whatever but it always makes you feel like you are 
in the world of Alien. And that's what I really like about this law background. Because if you take away the statistics and stuff, it almost does read as like a writer's guide. You could give this to someone who's writing an Alien novel. And if they read it all the way through, they would have pretty much all the basics they need to be able to soak the reader into that Alien flavour. In terms of the longevity of these sessions, I would say that's the difference between playing something like this now compared to where when we said about the earlier 1990s game when that came out because back then you would have had to get people physically around to your house or something like in Stranger Things now that you've had Dungeons and Dragons give a little boost in popularity because that's referenced in things like that and back in those days you had to physically get people around whereas now we're now doing it with basically video conferencing technology and as long as you can schedule when everyone's free to do it you can have a game with someone who's in America or Australia or whatever you don't have to physically know people who are into it which was the big hurdling that stumbling block to getting the popularity of these things back then whereas with now we not only have the lore and that to make up these other scenarios that are stepping stones and they can sort of cross over into your these other words but you can if you need people it's relatively easy if you want to put the time to go to a forum and saying hey does anyone have a, a copy of this yeah it'll put on skype or zoom or whatever and as long as someone can play the moderator you're away that wasn't possible back in the 1990s days but now we've got this plus this sort of bridging stuff where the, you, you have a lot of even if you weren't into the prequels as films they give you a really nice sort of substance heavy things that if you were given these toys in the sandbox what would you do and you can you can just bounce ideas off one another if you want to come up with a scenario you don't you don't have to rely on the books in terms of like the, the rule books and stuff you can make your own stuff in like chris has done so um yeah i mean i gotta it's admit a lot the prequel more... stuff is hella fun to play with yeah as a gm hella fun it's your own per sandbox you can play and if you've got criticisms of the films like they didn't do this or they did too much of that you can literally have at it and say well how would you have done it and literally make a better tea cake you know you do we think do we think if ridley scott was uh gming his own homebrew do you think he would feature aliens at all or just i the, think, uh, I think AI? he'd be like i don't know what this shit is <laughs> dice i don't roll you dice you nerds have at it <laughs> It'd just be Androids. Everybody would be Androids. But I think... think Hey, it's a choice. You can do it. D&D is popular right now. And you bring up a a good point, Eric. I think things like Stranger Things and really just just geek culture... There's a resurgence. Yeah, but re- I mean, really just geek culture and uh, escapism in general is is much more hot right now than it was when we were growing up. It's much more mainstream. So I think it's this not, game... not as much of a niche now. Yeah, yeah. I think this game came out at the right time and just the, the format of it, the presentation of it, I think this could become a, a big staple of fandom. And I think it could hopefully keep going for years to come with new expansions. I really hope it doesn't suffer the same licensing fate as the the Produs AVP game did. I don't think it will because it it does seem to have have connected with the fan base. You know, we've seen a number of of different community groups playing this online and posting their playthrough videos, like Studio Utani, uh, among others. So. Yeah, I've I've honestly just been really impressed with it as someone who's who's completely new to RPGs. And I think a lot of people who are new to RPGs and don't have a lot of experience with this, but they are into sci-fi or the alien universe will be able to get in this. And someone like you, Chris, who has a bit more experience will be will be able to guide them and help them become more aware of what they can do and how a story plays out. And it's been super engaging. I really love it, to be honest. 
And just to piggyback on what Adam's saying um, in terms of finding people, I think it's the Alien RPG on Discord. I mean, you'll see a couple of different sessions posted each week if you want to jump in with people that you don't know. A place has hundreds and hundreds of members, so there's always the opportunity to jump in and find a, a game to play with people. And there, there also there's a, a group on Facebook as well. Uh, Free League has their own own boards. I mean, we we tried to put a group together on on AVP Galaxy and just sort of got sort of merged in with the the group studio Utani had established as well. I think we're at the point now where we we've got too many players for our in our group yeah, for the normal. Yeah, isn't the their latest piece Destroyer of Worlds? Doesn't that have a few more characters? It, it does have seven playable characters, but it's still meant for five. The idea being that two are meant to stay on the APC and their respawns. Yeah. Mm. So we're, we're at max numbers for the next... Yeah, I mean, that is important to point out to people who are unfamiliar with this. It's not a case where you can be playing a game that lasts for however many days, and if you die early on, oh, well, sod off, you can't play it anymore. You simply take on another character that's an NPC, and you are still in the game. You're just doing another character. Yeah. Which I thought was, oh, that's nice. Well, the only yeah. problem comes in terms of if they all die. The problem well. is, in this new one, is that you're playing all the playable characters. So when someone dies, oh. you don't have another one. Isn't it supposed to be a little bit longer, this one? Yeah, I think the effect guys clocked it at 21 hours. And they reckon Ooh. with stuff that's been added to it, you're looking at 22 to 30 now. You're talking about Destroyer of Worlds. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, what that would still what be? I was sorry, gonna say, ahead, would that yeah. still be classified as cinematic? Or, I mean, what, yeah, because it's still yeah. you've still got your three acts, and it's still from point A to B to C. You're telling a story, but it's meant to be those characters don't go any further than act three. And probably what you do in that instance is just have one session be one act if you could manage it. Oh, not if it's th- not if it's thirty hours. Yeah, not if it's thirty hours. The other thing that I do want to add, though, for if you're trying to find a group and, and it's your first time and you're in a group and it just doesn't gel well, don't give up. Try and find a different set of people because the people you play with really matters. Yeah, It really, really matters. So don't give up. Keep trying. Uh-huh. I agree with that completely. And honestly, even if, if you don't see yourself getting too too into the game, the, the core rulebook has a lot of just alien universe lore in it. That if you if you want to just dive into that and learn more about the alien universe, there's a lot of there's a lot of good information there as well. Even if you don't find yourself hopping into game sessions, it's it's just a cool book to have on your shelf. You see that that's why I really liked it as a sort of a, talking as it as it being a toolbox for assembling campaign play in ways to keep it feeling alien, but but without necessarily including the alien. There's a lot of deep lore in here. That, that retain that alien feel you know for, for me the the union of progressive peoples was always a piece of deep lore that i was always really excited about so you know when aliens mm. infestation came out i got a huge kick out of them being involved in that so you can use them as human adversaries in this uh, bio national from the very first aliens series is uh, are in this there's references to the kenner figures and the comics that came with those you know the hover tread vehicles referenced and it's not always just characters going on foot there are whole mechanics we haven't even explored yet for things like orbital combat and piloting skills and stuff we haven't even delved into any of that but they're already there ready to be used which i think is what the next campaign the next scenario was pushing is that right chris uh yeah i think you're going to be either flying around or driving around a, a massive colony so the lore hopefully in the, there'll in be the some uh, APC combat in there somewhere. Hopefully, yeah. 
the the lore and the core rulebook is very expansive and and it's really encompassing of a lot of different areas of the alien universe that I wouldn't have thought they would have put together. Like if the stories that that wouldn't really work together in the lore, like they have the wooden planet from Alien Three. They have Anchor Point from Gibson's script. Uh, it's a separate Gibbs. It's a second Anchor Point, though. It's not the Anchor Point. Gotcha. But, I mean, they're taking locations from alternate versions of the films that, that weren't canon. So it's like, at some point, it's like they're just throwing in the whole kitchen sink here with all these different parts of the alien universe. And, like, do they all work together? Do they all fit together? But Where I think you... You, can, you can take locations that were part of stories, but the stories themselves were not considered part of it. Yeah, it's up to you what you do. Drew, who wrote it, has a very interesting sort of mentality around things like that that I think is really interesting. He, he talks about it as like a barroom story kind of thing, whereas perhaps the locations were real, but the exact scenario that took place there is just barroom rumour. So, you know, perhaps Gibson's um, Awards Alien 3, you know, is just a barroom story and that the planet genuinely exists, which is what the planet does exist as far as the, the RPG is concerned. And it's just, yeah, there's all sorts of random places. The, the, the Scorpion Alien, everybody always sort of knew that as the old Kenner's best one. The planet that that's from is in the rule book and their Scorpion host, Colonial Marines, the comic, one of the planets and the company from that's in there. All sorts of just random ass things. Although Rim's not in it yet. I hope he brings Rim into it at some point. It's basically, it's, it's like a collection of spices. You don't have, it's not like all quotes canon. It's just like you've, if you want such and such and such and such, you want to add them together for your story, yeah. they're there. You can take and leave what you want. It's just nice to have options. It's a big, really big toolkit for what you want to do. Like they have weaponry from Aliens Colonial Marines, Alien Isolation, but that doesn't necessarily mean Hicks is alive in in the universe so it's it's just a lot of things at your disposal from all different you know creative works in, in the franchise and it really puts them together in a way that feels cohesive i think even if it's like a bit overwhelming it's like whoa the alien universe is a lot bigger and more complex than i than i realize with all these different fat factions and governments and and things like that i mean i kind of i can attest to that is that as the DM, well, or the mother in this case, I went into this game thinking, don't need none of the law stuff. I know enough. And that's true. For the most part, I can get by on what I know. <laughs> but there is more stuff in this book that I didn't know as, as a fan. It's like, all right, yeah. it's a bit overwhelming, actually. <laughs> There's loads of stuff. You've got if your you own no interest, basically. Yeah, if you have no interest in playing this game whatsoever, it's still such a recommend because of the lore and what you'll learn about the universe. What did you guys think of the engineer lore and the space space jockey stuff within this? Well, he he leaves it a lot of it sort of in general. Things in the book uh, tend to be a bit. Here's some ideas. Do what you will with them. So, like the the book yeah. acknowledges the theory that perhaps the engineers aren't the space jockeys and stuff like that, and it, it just gives you bullet points to potentially do things with. And with it, with the universe being what it is at the minute, in terms of uncertainty about knowing where Scott's going to go with the law, it's fluid. Yeah, I think. Stuff like this tends to avoid going definitive on anything yeah, like that. It doesn't that. paint itself into a corner, which is yeah. the problem these things can yeah. have. But even just seeing that fan theory that perhaps the engineers <laughs> are emulating the space jockeys, I was like, yeah! yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you see enough 
content in the law regarding space jockey for someone for a gm to then create their own story based around their own homebrew based around the engineer law yeah Yeah. Yeah. you absolutely could the problem would be if you ever encountered one there are no stats you'd have to make that yourself yeah people do make their own stats up i mean yeah people like try and homebrew the predators into the um, yeah i was just going to mention that i've done that That was one thing I wanted to bring up since since you mentioned mentioned predators. <laughs> you guys know I'm an AVP fan. There are a couple instances in this book that reference AVP locations. There's like you told me, Aaron. There's the Chingusa Corporation, which I didn't initially spot, which is from the first AVP comic. But from Rebellion's original game, there is also the station shown on the star chart, which is orbiting LV426. So that kind of makes me wonder if they ever would do a Predator expansion. I think it'd be awesome. I know some fans, maybe among yourselves as well, would be like, nah, keep it alien. Come on. But I, th- I think a Predator expansion would be super cool to, to add. And I know you would have to kind of not mention the AVP movies, I guess, just because of the lore inconsistencies. But they've already done that with the comics, like Life and Death and Fire and Stone follow the the Prometheus storylines, even though with Covenant, it's I don't know if that still works anymore. But I think you could do it in a way where the Predators are just there. Here's their culture. Here's their background. And you can have like a group of Predators or whatnot. Yeah, because it's and, just and an role option. play as them. It's an expansion. Nothing has to all be 100% used. It's just what the GM decides to put in it. I'm sure it's just purely a licensing issue. I'm sure they'd love to do Predator stuff. Um, I wouldn't be opposed at all. Yeah, if you could have it as an expansion, you're not forced to use it. If someone just wants to make a pure alien game, they can. Just like someone would be able to make a pure Predator game. But it would be there if someone wanted to use it. I mean, how cool would it be to have you all be Predators and then using the stats as the aliens? Or, as I understand it, didn't they try to do a game where we were all, the players were all aliens as well? That's uh, that's Effect podcast. That's nothing official. (laughs) No, no, but I mean, it's it's been played, toyed with, yeah. It's been done. The greatest thing really is you've got to consider this a toolbox. You know, they hand you mechanics. They hand you some existing stuff. Here's a bit of lore. Go fucking nuts. And that's what's brilliant about it. I mean, you can just do what you want with with the mechanics in here. You want to custom brew your own... I always joke with Drew about the, the VP70 not being in it, which is the pistol from Aliens. You know, if I wanted to, yeah. I could go and make my, my own Veep. stats. Yeah, I do want my Veep. Drew, if you're listening, I want my Veep in the Colonial Marines expansion. <laughs> if someone wanted to, they could make up a Herc Mondo yeah. Rick and Morty crossover. And there's nothing to say you couldn't. As long as you've got the statistics to play in there, you, you can make a parody game if you want to. There's nothing stopping someone from doing it they just got put in the time to make up the background things to make it work because as long as you can do that you just go for it Speak, speaking of the mechanics then, as as new players and fans of the Alien universe, I guess, as well here, do you think the mechanics are easy to pick up and the game is easy to get into? And do you think those mechanics work within the Alien universe? I think for me, this being my first real RPG, it wasn't really so much the mechanics. It was just the process of knowing what to say and just the general actions of everyone and who takes turns where and when. In terms of the actual mechanics of the game, the dice, the stress rolls, the panics, I feel like that's pretty easy to pick up. Personally, when I got the call book, I read it in like two days and I read it too quickly because it just went over my head. It definitely helps if you start off with a GM who knows what they're doing. So 
Chris, for example, is is great at GMing. My first game, I played with someone who it was their first time GMing. It, it kind of everyone was confused and crazy, but um, yeah, I I think it's pretty easy to pick up pretty quickly. And I don't think I'd be comfortable GMing myself just yet, but I don't think it does a, a bad job at showing you like the strings from the start. How about you, Eric? How easily did you pick it up? Especially considering you came into this a lot later than than the rest of us have been playing. You yeah. played two um, two or three sessions now, Eric. In terms of whole missions, I think it's just been two i think yeah i mean they were over several days. two scenarios yeah yeah i was the actual law book as someone who's like i'm one of the older generations of the fans and there's some bits have issues with canon wide but in terms of digesting it i got through that for me it was i i'm there's still a lot of the the statistics and how things work and the background stuff that still goes over my head i think for me i'm it's still going to be like that several months down the line, I think, for me. Even though, like, the Roll20 game site where we do this through, it takes a lot of that effort out. So I don't know if I'd find it easier or not if we weren't doing that and we were all just throwing the actual physical dice. I don't know. I can just say that I still find the actual playing side of it when you have to do like a chance throw or whatever that's still confusing as to how the mechanics work but i do think the stress mechanic is a really interesting and useful device and i really like how you like you're just given you're just told right this is the situation your characters are here and then you roll with it and you say right i'm going to blah 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 or i'll talk to a character and blah blah and it is completely up to you it's not like in a computer game where you only have the control you can say okay there's a ship there i don't want to dock our ship to it how about and this thing i came up with a large session how about we use the cargo mule thing as a shuttle to go over we could do that because we it's a tool and it gives you your ex you're obviously expected to go down a certain path but what if you don't it gives you this way of thinking outside the box because it is purely person to person role playing and I find that really rewarding to get through. That, I think, it does it really well. It will depend completely on who the GM is because the GM needs to be able to take account of things and figure out, well, my plan is secretly feel, to do this or that. Like being here almost like, there have been once we joke about it but there i think my first session <laughs> we had this thing where adam's character was i think they're a scientist or a technician and he could only do one move so one of the moves was he was looking at an alien through a window and he decided to do the how does it work and chris was like I don't know. And it sort of broke the same <laughs> because the GM wasn't sure how the hell to interpret that. But I mean, there are ways and means of doing it. So there will be moments where like that, most of all, it's not scary. It actually kind of like makes you laugh as you're going along. But um, yeah, in terms of the actual mechanics, I think it does take you need at least the GM to be familiar with it so they can sort of like handhold you through some of it. Have you been learning on the fly or have you actually got around to reading like through some of the rules? Both. I mean, I've been putting the time in trying to read, but it's because it's so involved. It's not one of these things where it's a mile wide and an inch deep. It's deep if you want to get into it because it, it's rich enough to go off and do whatever you want. So I would say as a beginner, 
for me, I still do find the mechanics a bit confusing. But if you're with the right people, you can be completely new and you can go into it. You're not going to fall on your feet as long as there's someone who knows what they're doing. So, again, it's about getting with the right group of people more than anything. You can be a complete beginner and you can you can get more and more used to it. But if you're all beginners, yeah, you're going to need to do some video tutorials or something yeah Yeah. you can't just go okay let's do this whatever the fuck it's not going to work like that you're going to have to have experience i'll hold my hands up i still get things wrong so yeah but more often than not i mean you're able this is the thing that i like about it it lets you improvise and it lets the gm improvise and there's some things where on our games we unbeknownst to us as characters chris had a group of characters and Apparently, they were all infected, and con- he was constantly doing these rolls of dice behind the scenes we weren't aware of. And it was just to see would someone hatch? And we had no idea from our point of view as characters and players. We thought, well, some of these might be infected. And we sort of like wasted a lot of time trying to do this detective game that we didn't need to do. But when we found out that we were like, oh, so it could have all gone that way. It added this whole layer, just knowing that things can kick off without you knowing. It's like it gives you those contingencies in a way that, you know, you're not necessarily expecting there to be. Another example of that was Chris's last homebrew, where uh, what was the simp's name? And he at the start, I think you did a you did a uh, oh James, uh, yeah, did a private yeah. Uh, dice roll to determine if he was going to be a good good simp or a bad simp. Yeah, and that's yeah. completely choice. It could have been fifty. He would have helped you, and fifty fifty would have helped you. It's it's not a linear thing. Yeah. What about you, Adam? In terms of coming to this as a new player, then. Yeah, and I think a lot of it was was thanks to you know your GMing as well, Chris. Is I felt like I I could get into this. It did take a minute to learn some of the mechanics and everything I could do in terms of how that affects the order of turns. Like Overwatch took me a second to understand, but it, I mean it's not it's not a super high learning curve to be honest. Even someone like me coming from RPG video games, like I knew different things like attributes and skill points and stuff like that. A lot of that stuff is kind of goes between RPGs of both gaming and and tabletop. Now, a lot of the tabletop ones can be a lot more complex with that. But in terms of the actual mechanics of this game, it doesn't seem overly complex. Like, I I think the tabletop war games are a lot more complex because I remember some of the rule books of like Warhammer are just absurd. They're just super large. But in terms of the mechanics of this game, it's not there's not a real barrier for entry, I think. I think if you read through it and you play a few games, you'll get you'll get the hang of it fairly quickly. I think if you've played an XCOM game, you're at least half the way there already, basically. I like tabletop games, even if I don't necessarily didn't come into this and really doing role-playing games. For me, the initial struggle was the role-playing aspect of of the game. Playing pretend doesn't come naturally. I'm I'm not yeah. in general an outgoing person. You know, I'm not the type of person that would go to drama club or um, do stuff like that. I, I struggled a little bit with that when when we did the demo at UK Games Expo, Chris. I struggled getting into that part of it, but you get there eventually. And again, that that again comes down to playing with a good group of folk who you get on with because. Like, somehow, every single scenario that we play, me and Adam end up being on (laughs) opposite sides of... of of the table in terms of, you know, 
being foes with each other and that always makes it kind of fun and kind of interesting and, and the game situations you know make make what's happening take awkward turns and stuff like that as well which is fun so for me it was getting comfortable with that aspect of it mechanics wise i will always want to reread rules anyway just to get a better understanding of things but i didn't think it massively complex it's just a case of knowing what's in there and what the actions do and stuff like that the panic dice are where i think this game does really well in terms of fitting in to the the feel of the alien universe so I think the Panic Dice are part of the engine anyway, aren't they, Chris? Aren't these from some of their other free leagues or other games? They are, but they, they're used very differently in the different games. I don't know how they're used. I have got the Coriolis book upstairs, so I could compare, but I haven't read it yet. But I don't, I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> well, in, in, in this, though, you are given specific dice known as stress dice that you get for turning on a monitor and seeing the aftermath of an alien massacre and um, various traumatic events like that but it's interesting because they then add to your potential success at things but those specific dice also have their ones on one of those dice trigger a negative thing so while the chances of succeeding are higher this is all them stats that eric doesn't like while the odds of succeeding are higher there's also then the chance that you could cause a bad thing to happen and that kind of it sounds kind of rubbish when it's I'm high risk it. high reward yeah it, it doesn't sound so exciting when i'm explaining it on a mechanical level like that but then when it comes to you are being in a game you have to you have a decision to make do do i roll and potentially cause shit to go awry or mm-hmm. not you know but and sometimes it does we've had some and really there are interesting ways to negate stress as well yeah there there are management stuff in there so it doesn't get out of hand as often it can still get out of hand which i think was chris that's probably been the most difficult thing in terms of the game isn't it is managing those snowballing stress for learning how to use it yeah if you, pile, if you pile on the stress early on you can get this unwieldy snowball effect where everyone is basically just running around and the game's on fire it can get really out of hand so as as a gm you need, you need to get to a point where you draw a line and go right you've done your stress rolls let's try and bring it back in a bit i, th- I think actually think that the stress mechanic is actually one of it is one of the more interesting parts of the game but it is one of the parts of the game that breaks it if you're not careful because if your players have too much stress it can just totally break any playability but the, the the rules also the core book also makes it very forgetting my English here. Um, it tells you that your discretion as the GM, you know, is is more yeah. important ultimately than anything else. So as the GM, you know, you do have that ability to go fuck the rules at this point. We're doing this for the sake of the experience. And I don't know how necessarily flexible all the other that is super games important. Are. No. Rule books are always guidelines. It's up to the GM to make the final call every time. They're just guidelines. As, as the only one here who's done the GM in, I wanted to ask you your sort of perspective and experience in, in handling this from, from that GM side and compared to perhaps your experience with those other games as well. In terms of GMing, so like between this and D&D, really for me, I think they're very, very different. In D&D, you're more heroes, you know, you're very hard to kill, you're fighting dragons and stuff. And in Alien, if you're fighting an alien and I roll a six, and you'll see my face when I roll a six because it's like, oh no, someone's dead. Because then it'll say, hey, now you've rolled a six, roll eight D6s. And if I, I get any six on that, that person is dead. 
It is brutal. This is like, like I've said before, it's like the Dark Souls of RPGs. And, but I, I mean, I, as an alien film fan, I liked it because one of the worries when I heard about this game, I thought, well, is it going to be like Colonial Marines where you shoot them and with like a pistol and they die? Oh, no. the, these aliens, they are hardy and they, they are, they, are. they act like you would expect. It's not impossible to kill them because at one situation we heard one going through an air duct and I did, I was in charge of the group and I said, right, put your backs against the walls and all go into Overwatch. And we managed to kill it as it got out the vent. Yeah. But, yeah, that's right. but that was lucky. Oh, these things, they are they are not impossible, but you can just have Deadly. one or two of them on a map and they will be a formidable threat. You will need yeah. to keep in mind you are the vulnerable one. I, like I must that. admit, it, the alien getting the aliens right in this game was so important. And when we did that game at the UK Games Expo, uh, Hicks, where we set an explosive charge at a door, and then we all hid around the corner with rifles, it went through the explosive charge, blew up, and the DM at the time uh, rolled all these dice, he's like, right, and then he explained it bouncing around the corner, and it was smoking, there was blood pouring from it, and then we opened up on it, and then it's like, right, rolled another dice, and it retreated, and we're like, it's still alive. That is how hard the aliens are in this game. They are tough. They're not cannon fodder. But back to yeah, the rules. That's, that's um, a good way of describing it. You have yeah. a couple of ways to get by by the skin of your teeth, though. Like you can still do a death roll and critical injuries as long as someone gives you medical aid. You can that's right. you can back to your get back to your feet. But as for rules, I would call this game quite rules light. Like for D and D, you've got you've got three books. You've got the player's handbook, which is about the thickness of the alien RPG. You've got the DM's guide, which is about the thickness of the alien RPG, and you've got the monster manual again about the thickness of yeah, the alien RPG. So it is very rules light. I think there's about eighty pages worth of core rules out of nearly four hundred pages. Like I said, a lot of it is full of law. I think it's quite easy to run, assuming you can wrap your head around it. As someone who's had a bit of experience, like I said, I'm not vastly experienced, and yet I've managed to make it at least fun for you all. So I do like how it is pick up and play. It, I, I find it pick up and play anyway. I, I don't know what else to, to really say about it. That's the thing. You've got to really compare it to, because like from my perspective, i got nothing to compare it to aside from the computer game like Total War and stuff, which it's all taken care of behind the scenes. For you, you you are able to compare it to other RPGs out there. So well, you've got it. the benefit of saying compared to typical tabletop RPGs, it's a lot more accessible. Whereas for me, I'm just taking it as an experience. That's right. I mean, for for example, in D and D, for how how vast that is, like somewhat somebody at my table could could say, oh, "I'm going to cast such and such a spell at this level," and I'm like, "Right, what's that do?" Because I haven't ever heard of it. And they've got to then go to the bit of text and they've got to read out the text so I can make like a ruling on it. Where in this game, it's like, right, I'm going to make a ranged attack with my pulse rifle. So I'm like, right, so that deals X amount of damage, X amount of bonus dice to your attack, and it, it's at this range. Oh, it's so simple. Is is that not just not not to take away from it, but it, could that also be a benefit of age as well? You know, we're we're coming into this game at the start of its life. Maybe. See, D and it's such an old. It's it's a very vast game. Even fifth edition, it's so vast, so so vast. I yeah, think it'd be maybe you're right. Comparing that first edition to where it is today to see how much more has been added on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if because wasn't there some kind of uh, message saying we were going to get a, like a Colonial Marines? I think we do with some sort of Colonial Marines core book, yeah. So again, that's going to add a whole other layer then. 
Because, I mean, you look at the history, you did have Dungeons and Dragons, and I think the next really major pop culture thing that came in was probably Vampire the Masquerade. And they had a similar lot of, like, this expansion, that expansion. They had a whole thing for werewolves and blah, blah, blah. And then they sort of, like, rebooted it all. And, I mean, these days you've got things like the YouTube channel Critical Role with Laura Bailey and that. And you just show them having fun with it. And I think something like this, you've had not just years, but decades of people who have grown up with Dungeons and Dragons and they're just trying, they can now simplify things. And there is going to always be a a degree of complexity, but now it's something like the Alien RPG, it's polished with a horror genre veneer, but they're able to polish and because they've probably played these other games in the past and they've thought, Christ, we don't need to do all these 20 pages of what, look, just make it a pulse rifle. And it's it's probably that kind of, they've just simplified it down. It's still a little f- imposing when you're just given this big thick book and all this, they need to release just an art book from all this art. They seriously do. Definitely. It's, I mean, it's, it's still a new play, still- yeah, but kind of you know yeah it's intimidating it, yeah it looks like an actual atlas but it's this is from a benefit of all those years of experience of people who have played these older games Rem- remember that they've also put out the new starter, starter set. set which is essentially just the mechanics and we don't have them in hand yet because i don't think they would ship in until the end of this month as a recording but that that'll probably be like that much i think it'll be soft like as well yeah you know it's hardly going to be any pages as, as intimidating as as this looks a good chunk of it really is law and, and world world building. Yeah, you so don't you don't need it. It's just, you take you take you probably take this that and that out of it, and then you it, what you're actually using for the game is only like seven ten pages maybe, and that's just the stuff that like you've got a cheat sheet or something. The stuff it's about can... half of it from the looks of it. I mean, I only read about, um, about ship to ship combat pages. the other day. <laughs> if i don't need it you don't need to read it no right yeah but you did i do remember chris whenever we do a game i will say one of the flaws in this you found is that for some reason they put all the stuff you need you're going from the back to the front to the back to the front it's not organized in the most intuitive of ways but i will say that that has been a pain even in D D. Mm. That is a pain with how sometimes how it's just laid out yeah it's better to have like a the pdf I was going to uh, say, yeah, I've got the, I always search. have the PDF open, and I just search it if I need to. It's an easier way to go around it. Yeah, fortunately, this group has got some awesome searches, so we can always get to rules quickly whenever needed. Again, so, it's uh, another advantage of being in this day as opposed to like the 19- 1980s or something. Yeah. So how would you yeah. compare this to the 1990s game, having at least looked at that? The 1990s game looks super complicated. Compared to this. <laughs> to this it's, yeah. it's supposed to be a shit ton of tables. Yeah, there's it, just tables and tables and tables. Wasn't that the one where it's describing the Arcturians, which I meant to be quite from that as, yeah. yeah, like blind mole rat creatures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've only ever looked in that one for random bits of lore. It's, it's never been one I've really dived into. But no, this, this supposedly is a lot better to play. There are people online who I've seen who have played both and read through both, and they've said that this is infinitely better. What was the one that was adapted from a role-playing game into a, like a free-to-play internet-based thing, and it was just you've got all the marines? That that wasn't a role-playing game. That was just a board game. It was just a. That wasn't the ninety-nine. It was a separate. The okay. It, it was the same company. It was Leading Edge's Aliens board game, but it, it was literally just, just a board product, game. Right, just a yeah. board game. Yeah. I think we've probably talked out of mechanical stuff here and, and law stuff, but before we sign off. 
I'd really like to know what your guys' favourite moments of your sessions so far have been. You know, any any standout sort of moments where it's been like, this is awesome. Adam, why don't you lead us off? So I think just the one of the scenarios that Gaskar wrote, Chariots of the Gods, having played through that one a number of times, just seeing the different ways it can go. Like you said, Aaron, sometimes we can kind of become rivals in, in our scenarios. But... Uh, Calum from our forum who played your character in Chariots, he and I were essentially buddies when he was playing the the same character that, you know, we tried to kill each other in the previous scenario. So even in the structured cinematic campaigns, seeing all the different ways that the story can go can add a real replayability factor to it. There's kind of unrelated here, but another video game I've been playing recently, Detroit Become Human. And it's a very, you know, carefully crafted narrative story experience, but there's also like a butterfly effect aspect to it where the story can go any number of different ways based on the choices your characters make make and certain circumstances that happen. And I think that is true here as well. Even though you might be playing a highly structured, prepared cinematic story, it can go any number of different ways. Another one really cool moment was, again, this was Cherries of the Gods. My character was a technician and someone was trying to sabotage the reactor and uh, activate the self-destruct. And I was on my own trying to go stop them. And I used the flamethrower on them. And that's when it revealed they were the secret android. And I was the only one who went after them. And I was like, oh, fuck. And they were already in Overwatch. I got a series of unlucky rolls and they got four successes on me with a shotgun. So I was pretty much out for the count there. But it was still just a really cool experience like, oh, I'm going to go stop him. Oh, shit. He's the android. And then I'm dead. So, but I mean, the player didn't realize. Yeah. Didn't realize what? Well, the player didn't realize that their character was going to be the android until the GM told them. Oh, no, yeah. No, no. No, they knew the entire time. Oh, they knew. Oh, I thought, oh okay. Because sometimes the, the GM updates you your, your yeah. secret agenda. What? But yeah, typically with Androids, you know from the beginning if you're the secret Android, I think. Right. The problem is with the secret Android is once you've played it a couple of times, you'll know what their objectives are, so what they're doing. So what I've been doing is I've been putting that actual character's agenda in there as well. So they're doing both. So it throws you off. And it did. Yes. It worked. Oh. None of you knew. <laughs> I think another one of my favorite moments was in Hope's Last Day, because sometimes you can have disagreements with the rest of the group as to what the best way to survive would be and what the course of action would be. So who was playing with us, Aaron? It was you and Eric, right? You mean when we split up? Yeah, when we split up. You were going to go rescue someone outside, and I was like, fuck that. I'll meet up with you guys later. So I kind of go on my own little adventure in the upper level of, of Hadley's Hope Colony, and I run into another scientist, and we kind of have a secret discussion that the GM is is yeah, playing out with me while they're in a different part of the colony and then they enter the colony and I'm going to meet up with them but there happens to be an alien right at the entry and they literally knock over a fire extinguisher while, <laughs> while trying to stealth by it and the alien kills them both <laughs> like, oh my Dumb god shouldn't have split up from me but there's so many you. cool moments like that how did you play out that secret they, they took over the, the two other characters Oh, yeah. So did I like just a did um, side a chat? private chat. Yeah, Chris, side yeah. chat with, with Chris. Uh, and we literally an typed out our conversation while they were trying to survive against this alien. So from, from an enjoyment experience then, at, at that point, taking in consideration, you know, the technology that we're using to play on, but you are still sort of, uh, you know, 
in this world was it still was it still enjoyable was it still alien while you're fucking typing away to the gm while the other players are talking and and acting it out yeah the only thing that kind of slows down for me is when you get into combat and you have initiative and then everybody has to do their turn and their turn and it's a lot more structured so something that you would kind of think would be very fast like combat it turns into kind of like the slowest part of the game because everyone has their structured turn. Everyone has to make a decision in terms of a really heated moment that's life and death. So people are usually taking longer deciding what they want to do. And sometimes the GM will kind of spur that along. That's the thing that kind of brings me out of it a little bit is combat, even though it can get intense and it can be really enjoyable. I think sometimes the turn-taking element does get a bit too heavy in combat, but there's ways to alleviate that. Like you can make this game. I really want to play this game with you guys. You're all UK-based, right? Yeah, I think I am. Well, except except for me. Oh, Joseph. Oh, okay. Well, the next time I go to the UK, we should really try and put together an actual session because I think there's ways you could make it more immersive. Like Chris, you've already used music in our our playthrough sessions. Yeah, but that that actually really helps for atmosphere on these. But yeah, tabletop, seen, like, we use monitors with the the maps on them and everything, and it's, it looks really cool. Yeah. I've seen people do like the the mother interface as well. Yeah. Where you can type <laughs> it out. Nice. But again, a lot, a lot of the onus of that fault seems to fall on the game mother. The game mother seems to be the most responsible and, I guess, stressful part of doing doing the scenarios. But it is fun. It's very weird. Yeah. But I would highly recommend a website called Tabletop Audio, uh, not just for ambient music, because they have a number of sci-fi themed and alien themed ambient music that fits with the scenario, but also for sound effects. They have a full soundboard of alien type effects that work perfectly with this. So if you were to get a group together in person and create a room and create a moody atmosphere, Mm -hmm. I think you could have a really great time. And that's that's the experience I'm really looking forward to this game is actually having an in-person playthrough session with friends. Um, Eric, any standout moments from your session so far? Any anything that you could share that you think the listeners and the watchers would probably be like, "Yes, this sounds." Yeah, no, I I think it's basically, and it's something which this game, I will say, this game particularly handles well, where it is something unexpected and it is purely down to the roll of the dice it's it's things like where we just knew as i said this alien was coming on this air duct because it was obvious from the sounds and stuff and i just had to make a split second decision we all did that and we all shot at it and it was a miracle but we actually killed it with no casualties no acid splash or whatever it's either when something goes fortuitously miraculously right even if that's down to you having a secret agenda and convincing other players to go along with it, or it's when something completely disastrous happened, which you're, which we all go, what? And but like when the character is the android, we were in the midst of this neomorph just coming out of an air duct and it was attacking everyone at lightning speed. And they just literally, it came to this player's turn and they said, I turn around, I open the doors, I lock them behind me, and I walk along. Are we, we, what, what, what's going on here? But it, it really adds to that sense of everything's turned on its head, and you're in completely unfamiliar, and you have to improvise, even when you're in a life and death situation. So it's either when something goes astonishingly, hilariously, fantastically right, or it goes wrong in a way you didn't expect. Or it's simply when we're playing with you and you get attacked by kinky facehuggers. Because it always happens. <laughs> <laughs> and they're literally whiplashing you with their tails. They're not even leaping on you. Facehuggers do love yeah. me. So it's just it's yeah. just those mo it's the unexpected. 
whether that's something going really right. And it's like you can see the GM's face and Chris is like, I don't know what happened here. So I must something... admit, I enjoyed it the other night where I had Ava scrape yeah. against the bridge door and you're all like, oh no, there's something yeah. outside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but she's friendly, but you don't know. <laughs> no, we don't. That's it. But that, that's well, what they... I re- this game does it really well and it's when the unexpected happens. Things flip on their head and it can be in a good way and it can be in a catastrophic way, but either way makes it an enjoyable, memorable experience. And even if you all or mostly die during it, it makes you go, oh, you know what, that game that we had the other night where X, Y and Z happened and it's it's always be based around something like that. What about you, Jonesy? I'm going to say, kind of mirror what Adam said about the combat. That kind of like slows it down a little bit for me in terms of the the turns and go around. I really just enjoy the actual like kind of detective mystery going around this map and figuring out like looking at cameras, checking out, just trying to figure out what to do. That's my favorite part I would say about this. In terms of specific moments, watching Chris play a drug addict was pretty good. <laughs> Plays a really good druggie. And then there was also a I think it was Chariot of the Gods. A sh- <laughs> it may have been uh, a shootout between you, Aaron, and Adam. See that's that's my favorite moment, yeah. That was crazy. I always seem to play the the backstabbers and <laughs> I think my favorite moment was certainly when me and Adam turned on each other in one session and I tried to use like my talent to get out there and bail on them all in an EV and then one of the other players has gone to un- undock the ship and the jolt causes a shot to go wild and ricochet and hit somebody. Didn't I end up killing you or something? It was yeah. my character, champ, <laughs> poor champ. And that that was purely based on you know the roll of the dice and some other guy doing yeah. something yeah. there. And so that was in Clara's yeah, I've, game. I've, she was brutal. <laughs> she was I was going to say, yeah. If anyone wants to witness that, they can check out Clara's YouTube channel. I think the videos are up posted on there. Which is uh, Studio Utani. I will say the the secret agendas part of this itself brings out some memorable moments because there is a point in doing that. If you follow them, you get a story point, which when it comes to the next act, you're given a story point and you can choose to use it to make any action or whatever is successful. You still have to roll dice to find out what degree it's successful, but there is a re- it gives you an incentive to try and accomplish the secret agenda. And when you know you've got a secret agenda and you're able to achieve it in a way that nobody else realizes, that gives you a little yes moment, but nobody knows. It, that itself can be really rewarding in a way. You, you can't tell anyone until it's it's time to for you to do it. It can be something simple it can be something as simple like my character had i was thinking to myself when i had it how the hell do i do this because it was like trying to get wayland utani to give me an upgraded whole spaceship or something but i managed to get the um, company rep to put in a good word on my behalf if we got back and so i had to privately message chris and say does this count as a story thing and he said yeah 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 and i thought ah oh. Yes, I just got it there. And it was like little seek, little simple conversation, but it gives you that little. And if you've got a little, a, a, quite an elaborate thing, a way of going about something, you need to do something which is quite nefarious. Or it can be like my one, the first ever Hadley's Hope thing. After my character died, I was put in the synthetic. And I wasn't a secret synthetic. Everyone knew I was a synthetic. But I, my secret agenda, my personal agenda rather, was to save everyone. 
Adam was convinced I was going to fuck everyone over, and we were on that thing because where, of what happened with Aaron. Yeah, <laughs> and Aaron's character was got face hugged, and I I had to get on the ramp of a spaceship just so I could reload the gun and point everywhere. And at that point, Adam decided to shoot me, uh, but I had I was just trying to achieve my personal agenda of trying to save as many people as I got. But because of that, he got face hugged, and my character was like shot in half, and it's functional, but technically. I survived, but it came out of me trying to achieve my personal agenda, but it was misinterpreted by another character. And that in itself brought drama to the story in a way that if it hadn't been for that, it wouldn't have existed. So those that little mechanic is another nice thing I like about this game. It, it adds to the story. It is quite amusing when we're on Zoom or Skype while we're doing this and you hear someone say, hey, GM, I've just sent you a message. Yeah, <laughs> one kind of knows something else. Something's yeah, going on in that moment. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Any specific moments from the scenarios? Oh, so th- this one's a this one will be a good one for the people who like how deadly the creatures are. So none of you were present for this one, but during my first playthrough of Chariots of the Gods, one of the players on the bridge failed to detect, uh, do an observation roll, which meant that the alien got to ambush through a vent. In this case, it was a neomorph. It jumps out of the vent, bites him in the throat, kills him outright. It then rolls at the beginning of its initiative. So it got like, it's got something like a three out of four, and all the players were underneath. And then it leapt on someone and killed him outright. And then it turned again and killed them outright. And then they all tried to kill it. With- That's some sixes you were rolling, mate. Sixes, yep. And then they tried to kill it with who was left. Bearing in mind there's only two characters left now, because in three in three attacks, it's killed three players. They tried to shoot it, miss. Back to the Neomorph. Six. Tore his throat out. <laughs> Next attack. Six. Are you sure your dice aren't loaded? I reckon they are. I reckon they are. I mean, I, I do use the, uh, the the swanky alien ones for... Man, the look on their faces. That was the first time that they, they'd come across... Everyone was really enjoying the game, and it was like, we're like, we've not really come across any aliens yet. And the first time that it happened, it just went through yeah. them on. Everyone was like, that was incredible. And like, it is literally, literally down to the gods of chance. It's it's yeah. it's a one it's a one in six chance of it being a fatal encounter. Yeah, but it's really what what makes the game is the behind the scenes stuff that either the moderator knows themselves, or we're trying to achieve personal agendas, or it's just rolls of the dice that are going on. It's like that game where we played, where all the crew were potentially affected, infected at any time. Chris could have got this roll of the dice, and it could have been like fifty percent of them just suddenly started erupting. It didn't, but it could have, and it wasn't. It, and there was nothing any of us could have done to dictate that. Or the android, they could, if we. Have chosen to wake to wake her up it could have been on our side or it could have been plotting against it there's nothing we can do to dictate that but what i love about this book is some of the flavor text that it gives you that you can read out like when it's attacking so mm. here's like one of my favorite attacks for air so this is for stalkers scouts and drones so this is a number two on the d6 and it says playing with its prey the xeno attacks but not to kill the target is knocked to the ground and drops all handheld items but otherwise takes no damage the xenomorph stands over them taunting its prey to run so the game can go on the victim gets plus one stress and must make an immediate panic roll in your lambert that is wow (laughs) beautiful flavor text but there's all sorts of stuff I mean, I don't quite like the soldier and sentry ones where they decide to just jump at their target and explode. It's not poetic enough. I don't know why they do that. Rah! They're, they're the boilers. The boilers. 
No, they're not, because that's sold for a century, but... Again, it's it's framework, though, so if it's something Absolutely. you don't like, you just, just you change can it amend it, yeah. Does does anybody have any specific points they want to bring up about the game before we just sort of give final recommendations or thoughts? Any specific elements you want to... From a GM's point, then, we'll go for, I wish there was more diversity for the beasties. So you do have lion worms from uh, Mira Grant's novel. You have some of the locust type things from one of the bug hunt novels, but you're very limited for like creatures. So as a GM, you're going to have to put a lot of thought into like what type of things can they find on these different planets and their attack roles and their stats and how they attack and things like that. It's one of the big flaws that I do find with this game is that there's not a lot of diversity in that regard. I mean, it's it's easy enough to find attack stats for soldiers, synthetics, you know, pirates, plenty of stats for that. But actual, like, native life forms that aren't our sacred one-two-ones, we'll say, there's not a lot of them. I just wish there was more. It's one thing that I'd, I want. But again, that, that could potentially be expanded upon in later core releases anyway. I hope so. I know for a fact there are some new things in Destroyer Worlds, because I've seen them. And in terms of like the variety of the the aliens itself, I mean the the book does try and create further further variety of the aliens in terms of like the caste system and stuff like that. And you've got you know you have got like the neomorphs, you do have the firefield mutants, which the book calls. And you've got the all at different stages as well, all at different stages of development. And the uh, the sort of proto aliens from Covenant, so it does try and give you variety in that way. It, it does go that far. Okay, then final final recommendations, final thoughts. Then um, would you recommend this book, uh, this game to other people, Adam? Uh, yes, definitely. Especially if you were into the Alien universe, and especially if you were into tabletop RPGs such as Dungeons and Dragons. Um, if you're into both. I think you'll love this. Uh, I hope it continues to grow and is expanded with further additions, new scenarios, rule expansions, things like that. I think there's a huge amount of potential here. And like I said, I think this could really become a a big staple of of the fandom moving forward. Are we doing scores or we just recommend, don't recommend? I mean, I wouldn't score it based purely on no frame of reference. but recommend it. Yeah, I'd highly recommend it. Are you going to do a written review, Aaron, for the site? I want to at some point. I don't plan one immediately right now, but I certainly want to. Definitely highly recommended. I'm very much looking forward to the new scenario, Destroyer of Worlds, and going through that one. I got the nice, uh, for those of you watching our video here, the 40th anniversary hardcover book, which I really, really like. But they still have the regular core rulebook available, as well as a new bundle that has just the starter kit, which is only the rules without the lore, as well as the new scenario, Destroyer of Worlds. But I'd highly recommend the core rulebook if you're into the Alien franchise because of all the lore that it has. Like, that's the meat of of what's here, I think, regardless of whether or not you want to get into the game. Even if you don't want to play the game, I still recommend the core rulebook just for the lore. Eric? Well, I'd say, you know, if you're thinking of Get It, do check up on how much it will be because it's not cheap to get. But I think as as long as you can find a way to find other people, um, preferably with at least one who's experienced with it, yeah, it's definitely recommend. If you want an RPG that's every bit as good as something like Warhammer or whatever, but based within the alien continuity, I would say this does the job very, very, very well because it is essentially a sandbox 
mechanic. I would also say uh, once I played it, I could easily. I thought myself, well, I can easily see how they could adapt this for other licenses like Terminator. They could do all kinds of things with like LA of 2029 with Skynet. You could easily take the same mechanics and do things like that. This has a lot of potential. So it's one of those products that now I've played through it, I'm very interested to see what kinds of expansions they do for the future because there's a great deal of potential with this. So I'm very much looking forward. Yes, I would definitely recommend it. Is it possible to do an RPG in the Alien continuity? Yes, absolutely yes it is. And I would say this is pretty much the definitive RPG experience you would hope for in the Alien world. Jonesy? Yeah, I'm completely out of clue in what these two guys have said. I came into this wanting to find something to immerse myself into the alien universe. And whether it's very minute actions that you take in the game or just thinking about the, the actual broad story... I think it completely achieves that. I think if you're afraid of not having people to play with, maybe you you don't have like a community that you're doing this with. You can go on Facebook or, or the Alien RPG Discord or Free League's board and you can find some people to play with. And even if you don't think you're going to, you'll really ever enjoy role-playing in this world, just get the book because it's so beautiful and it's it just adds a lot to the lore of the universe. I think that is something that a lot of licensed RPGs tend to be a good resource of is purely lore and world building. I mean, the, the old alien stuff, even if you don't necessarily want to play the game, I'm talking the one from the 90s, you know, it's interesting from a lore kind of perspective as to what crazy things they thought back then, <coughs> Octorians. But, you know, with this one, like we said, half half the rule book is, is lore, is story building, world building, and it's interesting on its own right for that. In terms of mechanics, as somebody who has never necessarily enjoyed RPGs, what he's played and used to find the concept a bit intimidating as, as playing it out and doing the role playing. I've really enjoyed this. I've really enjoyed this. The mechanics work so well for the Alien universe and, and the toolbox that is in here is fantastic. I mean, I haven't GM'd it yet, but I really want to. And having read through it fresh in as prep for this, you know, I got so many ideas for scenarios while reading this that I just, it, it seems like it's going to be a good creative outlet as, as an alien nerd, you know, for, for throwing those ideas out there and, and playing with people. So yes, I fully, fully recommend the RPG. Real quick, I just wanted to, I forgot something. Beyond just the lore, I think another big part of the book being as immersive as it is, is the art. And I just want to reemphasize that yeah. and give the the lead artist a shout out, Martin Grip. His work in here is awesome. Uh, graphic design, Kristen Granith, spaceship and vehicle art by John R. Milani, who's also done stuff in the, the Alien universe before for the Whaling Utani Report. There's some other artists as well that did the weapons. So there's there's some great art that supplements the lore in, in this book and just more than I really really expected and it looks like that's going to be continuing on with the, the new scenario destroyer of worlds yeah definitely it is beautifully presented no denying that as well chris what do you think i would again absolutely recommend it it is my favorite uh, rpg even though i've been playing DD for so much longer i i just love the mechanics in this game something that we've not really touched on is the fact that you can push roles so if you get a, a failed role or even a successful role you can 
take those dice and roll them again to try and like get a bit more of an edge oh my if i if i deal a couple of more bits of damage like the creature might die and it might make the difference between people living and dying or the fact that you can only do one action once so if you fail to open a door and you've got an alien chasing you down a corridor that door ain't opening because you failed and i just love how grounded it is in the alien universe and to me in that way i think the mechanics really really suit this game between the stress and everything like that i like how easy it is to pick up and play i like how much lore there is in the book i like how much content there is in it to help you make your own things i mean we've not even got into like the tables in there which will help you create solar systems for your game <laughs> or then you can say oh there's a job what job are we going to go on roll it on a table what are the complications roll it on a table and it, it helps you create a structure to anything that you want to do I, I don't even think D&D has anything like that in its books, really. It does for certain things, but nothing is quite concise as what this is. Yeah, I just love this game. I mean, I'm actually looking forward to being a player <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> but uh, I, I must admit, I, I absolutely love GMing and just seeing people's reactions when you say, there's a pling on your motion tracker and it's coming towards you. And that's all the information you give them. And you just see everyone go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it, it's one of those games where as, as holding all the cards and knowing what everything is it is so much fun even getting to murder your friends is a lot of fun in this game <laughs> even though as i've always said that the game mother should always be a secretly really rooting for the players you shouldn't be outright be trying to kill them sometimes it just works out that way sometimes they just hold up in a corridor hey adam <laughs> with a pistol yep. and you're like i hope he runs <laughs> Didn't run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i can't really recommend this game anymore uh, anymore but if you're seriously considering it and you, you don't quite want to spend the money on like the core book and you're not too interested in the law stuff you just want to see what the rules are like and play a game consider getting the start set but otherwise if you've got the core book i absolutely recommend that you do that the scenario inside it for hope's last day it's not law accurate because technically there's no survivors on the spaceship that taken off it's just a bit of fun it'll help you and your players if it's your first time because you know how this hope right you've seen aliens it helps it all helps get you stuck into that world it's a nice easy scenario with not not a lot of text in it it's got all the events nice and laid out it's nice and easy to follow and 100 recommend doing it that way then moving on to chariot of the gods because they'll know how squishy they are after that first scenario, let me tell you. <laughs> and it's, so, yeah. it doesn't also, just force players to be to improvise. We've, I've noticed it does force use the GM to improvise. Yeah, sometimes I can tell we've done something you haven't quite thought of or planned on a contingency for. I can kind of like see your, your mind working. Oh, okay, I better change this or whatever. <laughs> and like what one of us, I forget what it was, but one of us said, oh, what if we get can we explore the derelict or what if we get hived can we still play on and you were like well i'll let you we'll see how it goes <laughs> but, um, i mean there's another one. i think aaron you was a point where you were getting attacked or somebody else was getting attacked by a face hugger or something and you didn't have it but you had a blowtorch and you said well wait a minute you could this still does damage and we, we were able to improvise in a way like a computer game or something wouldn't let you and you did i think get what it was but it either let you have a chance of escaping with injury or or you managed to defeat whatever yeah, it was that was in his homebrew yeah 
Yeah, but it forced things to be improvised in a way you wouldn't have ordinarily thought you'd be able to. But it's it's all down to looking at what's your inventory, looking at what your skill set is, and each different career role will have different. You get a, a particular special skill, and like the the one who's a corporate, I think they get a one where they can force other characters if the other character rolls lower than them or something to take damage or risk on their behalf but it's done in a way where you think yeah if this was an alien film this feels like it would totally fit in an alien film yeah it is 100 thematic in in terms of mechanic and law yeah i can't disagree at all and if you are interested in the game there are plenty of actual plays i think is what they call the rpg ones on youtube uh, of people playing uh, that tends to be how i learn games these days is watching people play them so you can get a feel for the the official stuff you can get a feel for how it works with homebrew scenarios and we'll probably have our play our actual play of a a homebrew up by the time this episode is live i'm just waiting for ridgetop to do me something and then they're good to go the rpg has a website which is just alien-rpg.com and you can check out some of the shops and uh, the forums and look at some of the, the products on there. And there are there are peripherals for this as well, you know. You don't have to get them, but it's just in case you do, you know, a, the role-playing themed dice. You can play them with any old thing. I would recommend two different pools of coloured dice, though. Yes, definitely, yeah. One for stress and one for normal, so just so you can differentiate them. Also, if you want to get a cheaper version of the rules on a core book, you can go to drive through RPG and you can download the PDF for like I think it's about ten fifteen dollars so it's a good bit cheaper if you want just a digital version that's a good shout it, so it's very accessible as well you know th- this is we are really early on in this game's life and we've played it nearly a year and we we've mostly been playing the same two scenarios yeah with with various new players because we keep trying to introduce new players and stuff like that and we still love it because everything turns out different you know i think you said it jonesy yeah. was just how different every playthrough is and it really speaks to the the replayability of of just it as it is now just imagine now when you've got more official scenarios when more people have brought out homebrews and stuff like that so um, the effect podcast we'll shout those guys out as well they're they're a good resource for this and they've done their own they're, they're a podcast but they do um, you know their own actual plays on those so you can just listen to them out and about not yeah. necessarily sat in front of your computer or or on your phone whatever watching some faces on a screen and they wrote the one in the book in the core book yes um hope's last day didn't they write a good bit of destroyer as well i think some of it i think i think dave did yeah I think they refined it was what they said. Yeah. And I think didn't didn't Dave write the alien alien stats as well? Yes, because it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you'll find out. <laughs> you'll find out in the uh, in the video. <laughs> so, you know, those those guys have had a hand in bringing the game to life as well. Um, and it's effect with a, a K, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's because it. I, I guess that's the Swedish way of spelling it. I assume anyway. That's the rationale behind that. So in terms of housekeeping, I would just like to thank everybody who's listened or watched this. You know, if you do have any comments on on anything to do with the podcast, whether it's this episode, previous episodes, please do feel free to give us a shout on podcast.avpgalaxy.net or on the socials or on the website, you know, wherever you're seeing this. Um, If you're listening on iTunes, please leave us reviews on there. Let people know whether we're any good or not. Um, I, I understand it helps in terms of our visibility on that platform as well as a podcast. I would like some listener suggestions on this, actually. 
we're in the last half of the year and at the end of every year we always do an alien versus predator themed episode now we've been doing the original comics the last two years so we've done the original and we've done war and i would like to know what people would like to listen to us do for this year's whether you would like us to do the alternate sequel that is hunter's planet or whether you would like us to continue with the comics and do three world war so listeners Please let us know your preferences in terms of that. And um, it lets me know what I need to tell Eric and uh, Adam to go read in November. Oh, it is worth pointing out to people who are a little worried about expenses and that this is not the kind of RPG where you have to spend money on little figurines or anything. It is just purely you have a map and they're like little little paper cameras or something, essentially. It's not even... You don't have to spend money on painting little figures. It's not one of those kind of RPGs. It's just you've got the thing and you've got everything you need, essentially. And if you're doing it at Roll20, you don't even need the dice. Yeah. Yeah, I sure. think you're going to see a number of increasing user-created uh, content for you to implement in the game moving forward. I've already seen some stuff on the Facebook groups of people designing their own massive ships with internal maps and everything like that that you could just incorporate into your own scenarios. And I'm hoping to get together like a little resource of stuff like that on on the website on AVP Galaxy. I mean, we'll be posting Chris's homebrew as well when when he's content with with that. And I'd like to get a little resource of, of things of other custom scenarios up there as well. Adam, what are our socials? Uh, if you'd like, you can find us on our website, which is avpgalaxy.net. And we are also on all the major socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. If you search either AVP Galaxy or Alien vs. Predator Galaxy, you're sure to find us. And if you'd like to follow me personally, I'm on Twitter at underscore Corporal Hicks. That's it. Alien, Predator, Halo, Stargate, um, Airsoft, General Nerdy Bollocks. If you'd like to That's follow me Twitter personally. handle there. <laughs> It's at Ridgetop21 on both Twitter and Instagram. Eric, have you sorted yourself out? No. No. <laughs> I'm still shifting things over to ArtStation. Jonesy, do you have any socials that you want to shout? No, bit afraid of the social, but um, I'm on AVPG as Jonesy with a zero. So, yeah, you know, if, if you want to go, come and get stuck in with uh, fellow fans, uh, we do have our own old school message board, which is just on avpgalaxy.net, you know, forums uh, up there in the top right, I think. You know, come sign up, make an account, come get stuck in with us and uh, get stuck in with Jonesy. Chris? Really, I don't really use them all that often, but if I suppose if you've got any questions or anything, if you post them upon the boards or even in, under the post, uh, I'm sure Hicks will direct me at them. And I will make the effort to uh, help out if you've got any questions about the game. Okay, cool. Right, well, thank you everybody for listening or watching. This has been Corporal Hicks. Ridgetop. Xenomorphine. Jonesy. And Chevy. So as a a thematic sign-off from uh, Hope's Last Day, this is the final report from Hadley's Hope. Chevy reporting. The colony has been overrun by monsters. Of the 158 souls residing there, one has survived. The rest, well... I dread to think what has happened to the rest. I can only hope they were given the mercy of a quick death, but I doubt it. If you receive this message, do not attempt to rescue. Stay far away and inform the Colonial Marines as soon as you can. Only they can handle those monsters. This is Chevy, signing off. <laughs>